Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist. I hope you're doing well. If you're in Australia, hopefully the weather isn't affecting you too much. If it has, shout out to you. You are battlers, you are soldiers. Keep going on. And uh, I know here in Sydney, the rain has been so volatile and so frustrating because every time you think there's going to be a reprieve, it just comes back with a vengeance and it's certainly affecting ticket sales. And that's part of the catalyst of uh, today's topic, which is going to be stress management. I'm definitely going through a, a little bit of a stressful period right now. Nothing, nothing too uh, over the top, but uh, I thought it was a good opportunity to talk about stress, how to manage stress and how to deal with it. Uh, but before we get into the podcast, quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Steady Freddy. Steady Freddy have a wide range of men's sexual health products. They've got condoms, ultra thin condoms. You won't feel a thing. They've got ball boost tablets. You want to increase your vitality, your vigor, take some ball boost tablets. They'll boost your testosterone and their best product is their Steady Freddy Delay Spray. If you're watching on YouTube, let me get it nice and close to the camera there. All right, let it get into focus. Well, it's just so potent, <laughs> it won't even get into focus in the camera there. But their Steady Freddy Delay Spray, formulated by Dr. David Reiner. If you struggle with premature ejaculation, it happens to one in three men. And speaking of stress, stress can definitely contribute to something like that. Give your little wang a few sprays and you'll be good to go. You'll last as long as this podcast, even longer. So <laughs> go to steadyfreddy.com, use the code SEXCELLS, you get 15% off steadyfreddy.com. And of course, use only as directed, read all the labels. And this podcast is also sponsored by Crush Organic CBD Oil. They have a wide range of CBD oil products. Uh, they have got gummies, they got this one here, the Platinum Oil. There you go. Again, a bit out of focus in the camera there, but that's just because it's so potent and so powerful. Uh, they have bath bombs. They have CBD oil for your pets. Another thing related to stress, if you want to de-stress, get yourself some Crush Organic CBD Oil, and it will improve that area of your life. It will improve your sleep. It will improve everything about you. So go to crushorganics.com, use the code NEIL, you get 40% off. So steadyfreddy.com, crushorganics.com. All right, on to the podcast. Oh, and just before we get on to the meat of the podcast, actually, uh, I have shows all across the country. I have weekly shows in Sydney, regular shows in Western Sydney, in Melbourne. Brisbane is almost on sale. We're just working out a few details, but it'll be in June and it'll be on sale very soon. So go ahead and come to one of those shows. Newcastle as well. Uh, follow Eliza on Instagram. Follow Sex Sales Podcast on TikTok and on Instagram. Follow me on socials. All right, let's get into it. Eliza, how are you? What a spiel. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? A bit stressed? <laughs> I was so patriotic. You're a bit stressed, are you? <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got a life inside of you. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm definitely feeling it right now. Just, uh, just a very stressful period. No one wants to come to shows when it's raining, mm. which uh, definitely affects the uh, the revenue coming in. So uh, yeah. it's uh, it is a little bit stressful, but uh, you know, all things considered, uh, everything's still going very well. 
and I'm I'm very happy. But uh, I I wanted to do a podcast about stress management and dealing with stress individually, but also how it can affect a relationship because that's a huge relationship killer. Stress, financial stress especially, and petrol is what bloody five dollars a liter <laughs> now or something. So. Uh, yeah. People are definitely feeling the the pump financially. Uh, how, how's uh, how's Adrian? How are you guys going up in the coast? Yeah, good. Um, Adrian actually is also a bit stressed um, at the <laughs> moment. So he's been working back down in Sydney again. So I guess long commutes and um, like an hour and a half a day, twice a day, every single day is taking its toll a little bit. Um, so it's funny how, I mean, I haven't been necessarily crazy stressed, um, but Stress has definitely been like an ongoing theme the last couple of weeks here too. So I think it's, you know, it also can be brought on by a change of season and daylight savings. So that's that's an actual thing, seasonal affective disorder or SAD. Um, so lots of things impact it, bring it. Absolutely. Uh, the mm-hmm. weather, like I said, has been so volatile here. It's been very wet. Obviously, that's yeah. not conducive to being as healthy as, as possible. And Omicron still going around doing its thing and i saw a tiktok the other day and it was a woman from sydney talking about how everyone in sydney seems to be sick uh and some of it is due to covid but uh there's another seasonal flu that seems to be going around max a colleague of mine had something a couple of weeks ago and daniel and i both had a a very scratchy throat and we probably had it but uh, (laughs) don't get tested, so you can still perform. You've already had COVID though. Did you get tested that time you had COVID? Yeah, I got tested that time, but uh, a a few, quite a few comedians and people in hospitality have had it twice or sometimes even three times already now because it makes sense. You're around people, you're in in the dark, you're drinking, so. You're in the dark. (laughs) You're not getting your vitamin D. Yeah, that's one of the biggest factors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's true, actually. I've been dosing up on vitamin D. I've been so isolated the last few months because I've been super paranoid about getting COVID while pregnant. So I've just been like a hermit um, trying to avoid it. And yeah, taking taking a lot of vitamin D tablets, (laughs) which isn't as great as the real thing. Future child will thank you. (laughs) How I'm has sorry, how has that been? Has that been affecting your? Well, I'm sure it has, but how has it been affecting your mood and 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 your hormones and and these sorts of things? How how do you find it? What pregnancy? Yeah. Oh yeah, mood has been okay. Mood's been fine actually. I'm one of those lucky ones that I haven't had like crazy um, mood swings, but I am. And there's like a group. It's almost like Tinder for pregnant women that I'm on an app, it's called Peanut, and you get like put in a group forum with people Peanut. along the same. <laughs> yeah, um, that's because that's usually the size of the baby when you find out you're pregnant. Um. Um, and we, everyone's like, I am screaming at my husband. I am crying. I can't control myself. I've just been chilling. Um, but I think the biggest part has been just the, like the physical changes I've been struggling with. Like I have already got... Um, back issues and hypermobility so my whole back is locked in to try stop my um muscles from stretching any further than they already are because they're little noodles um and I found out I was in I was actually in hospital um a couple of days ago because of it and um I found out that I might not be able to get an epidural which is what you know basically helps with pain relief during birth because they're not going to know where my spine is (laughs) Uh, because it's moving so i'm gonna have to do a full natural birth i reckon and 
just let it rip. <laughs> Fun time. Wait, <laughs> not stressed your, yet though. Your spine <laughs> keeps moving, so yeah, is that mainly yeah. due to the to the pregnancy? Because I know you had back issues prior. Yeah, Has this just so exacerbated those? When you're pregnant, you're surged with this hormone called relaxin, which makes your muscles and ligaments really soft and flexible so that everything can move um, and all your organs can move up. But because I'm already extremely hypermobile and like overtly flexible, I've, I, it, the more flexible I get, everything's just falling out of place. So I haven't been able to sleep at night because like my hips ache and my joints ache and the biggest issue is though like with my hips move i have to be on bed rest for months um to stop the baby from like falling out so fingers crossed for me um my advice is listen to your physios if they tell you don't get pregnant i understand now why she said it um but that is (laughs) that's something i will bear but overall spirits have been good um that's all that matters i'm halfway through five months so just go push through and push it out and then Happy days. <laughs> is it going to get worse as the as the baby grows? Is that going to affect the, the ligaments? And it's going to get way worse. It's going to get, yeah. oh, God. Okay. It's going to, it's going to, when I was assessed in hospital, they were like, oh, this is going to be a tough one for you. And I was like, well, Oof. shit happens. And as long as, you know, I guess it's only one period of life, period of time in my life. So I'll deal with it. I can't be bothered to be stressed about it yet. Um, so, well... I'll deal with it when it comes wow. to it. Well, if anyone should be stressed, it should be you. So <laughs> here I am. Like, Ooh, it's raining. <laughs> Damn. Oh, well. And is it going to, what would happen after the birth? Will it take a while to go back to normal? How long till the body recovers? It takes a year for your body to fully re- like go back to where it is, but the Ooh. pain should resolve almost within a couple of months. So, um, That'll be good. The pain will mostly be overtaken by like soreness, I guess. Obviously, no one talks about how sore you are after birth. Um, but yeah, so just deal with that. But at least I'll have a little baby to distract me. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Sleep deprivation. I won't be able to think about the pain. So yeah. And then pro- once I'm on off, once I'm off pregnancy, once I finish my pregnancy, I'll probably finally be able to... S- get on that CBD oil because I didn't know if I can take that during pregnancy. So I haven't, I'll probably steer clear of that, but I totally intend on it <laughs> when I'm out because I've just heard amazing things about the pain um, relief it does for people. So it'll be good. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've got, I got plenty of, use, use the code. <laughs> I will use the code. My whole family uses the code. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Tell them thank you. Yeah, I heard it's really wow. good after the, like, it helps with muscle recovery after the gym and stuff. That's yep. What people have told me. Yeah. yeah Do you really use it good. for that? I usually use it uh, just before sleep. I sleep. Yeah. And uh, it, it's such a, it's, it's just nothing better to relax you prior to bed, especially <laughs> with uh, a lot of stress going on and being yeah. on your phone all day. So can't recommend it enough. So, True. I actually remember something you said to me about a year and a half ago when I was going through an arduous period in my life and you, it's simple, but it's something that you, you constantly have to be reminding yourself and others about, which is that whatever daily habits you're partaking in to help mitigate your stress levels, you can't stop doing them when yeah. 
things are enjoyable and things yeah. in your life is in a convivial time period. You need to continue with them. And that was a big realization for me because for a couple of weeks there, I'd stopped meditating. I'd stopped journaling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was the end of year period around December, January. There are a lot of parties going on, which meant I was drinking a lot more, which probably was making my mood even more sporadic and volatile. I'd be you know, mm-hmm. tipsy one night and then slightly hung over the next day. And that's probably not good for stress at all. So yeah. uh, that really pushed me in the direction of, okay, this isn't these sorts of habits, meditation, journaling, whatever it may be, whatever you do to uh, help alleviate your stress levels. That's not something to do when you're stressed. It's something to do consistently, yeah. habitually, and preferably daily. Uh, so that's yeah. my first piece of advice, which is actually your piece of advice. So thank you for that one. <laughs> yeah. Broadly speaking, how would you tell someone who's dealing with a lot of stress in their life? What sort of strategies would you would you recommend um, individually, and then and then we'll talk about within a, the context of a relationship as well. What are some uh, what are some things you'd recommend for people? Well, I. Th- I think that it's really important to understand stress in itself before you go straight into um, like stress management because stress has a very different impact on every single person and everyone has based on their upbringing, their you know, epigenetics and everything like that has a different response to stress. So someone like um, Adrian who has anxiety, he has a very, very quick stress response. He's easily you know, stressed. I have a very, very low stress response. It takes a lot to get me to feel genuine um, stress. Um, So I think that, you know, comes into the pair. And there's also a lot of different kinds of stress. There's like acute stress, there's PTSD, there's complex PTSD, there's adjustment disorder. There's all these different types of stress um, that we can experience. But what's really interesting is that stress, you know, historically, the purpose that it served us was to get us away from immediate physical danger, like a lion chasing you or someone trying to, you know, kill you with a spear or something. And now stress doesn't actually serve as much uh, of a purpose with us, except for, you know, responding to like, you know, you're about to have a car crash or, you know, a fight, a physical fight. But outside of that, um, stress doesn't serve much of a purpose um unless you're playing a you know just a football game or something like that it can and it can be helpful in small doses but the main cause of our stress these days is psychological rather than physical so loss um changes uh work traffic all these things which our body actually hasn't learned to adjust to the new ways of dealing with stress um so stress i guess has like such a severe and detrimental long-term impact on on our bodies which I think not many people actually recognize and I find that sometimes people I found that people can almost be proud of being like I'm so stressed all the time I work so hard like I'm always burnt out but like it's the hustle kind of thing and you're like that is that is not a a good thing um to have and I highly recommend um reading the body keeps score or when the body says no or both um, about stress, it will scare you, but it will teach you a lot and it'll help you understand um, a lot because the impact of stress in your body long-term is terrifying <laughs> when you know what it can do um, and how it can impact you. 
I don't know, like, yeah. is that something that you've like come to know or learn as well? I've definitely heard a few uh, statistics that are alarming. So one that I just heard on a podcast recently was uh, French people have a much lower rate of heart disease and stress-related illnesses and also obesity-related illnesses, but their diet is usually, in, ter- in terms of just, I don't know about the overall caloric intake, but the, in terms of the fatty foods and and yeah. and creamy foods and things like that, and the carbs, French, they, they yeah. love those. They eat those up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in the Western world, people are, generally speaking, a lot more stressed. And yeah. that's uh, a perfect example of how much stress will affect your uh, health outcomes, particularly later in life. Yeah. And this is just purely anecdotal as well, but uh, uh, I was talking to Daniel and we were wondering why so many rock stars live into their 80s and continue to perform at full capacity jumping around a stage being extremely energetic uh, and they've by all accounts they've had a life of of binge drinking and and partying and 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 sex and look they've had a lot of money so i'm sure they've also had nutritionists and things like that but uh we just came to the conclusion that we we think it's because they lived such an amazing life and they had so much fun and they maybe weren't stressed. Uh, but look, I, I don't have the uh, breadth of knowledge or reading material that you you have on, on this issue. But it's quite obvious that uh, stress will manifest in, in negative physical outcomes, whether it's in the short term, but definitely in the long term. I've even found uh, my back tends to flare up uh, yeah. when I'm stressed. And I eat a lot more. I, I can put on yeah. two or three kilos as well, which then causes more inflammation. And it just, you get into a negative cycle. So you don't want to get into yeah. a negative cycle. Stress is something that's normal. We're all going to experience it. We're all going to go through periods of our life that are stressful. We've just gone through a two-year pandemic. I'm sure that was extremely stressful for most people. And we're still experiencing the fallout of that. Inflation is skyrocketing. And the weather, like I said, is very volatile here uh, on the East Coast. So everyone is going to be experiencing some degree of stress. But the difference uh, between how much it will affect person A versus person B is the strategies and behaviors they employ to manage it and uh, alleviate some of the uh, more dire consequences. So... Coming back to what I said earlier, I, I, I've always found a daily routine is one of the most helpful things for me. Mm. And I am uh, I try to be a very organized person and organizing things, organizing my life, feeling like everything is organized and not up in the air helps me uh, feel less stressed, decluttering my mind, which can often be brought about by even decluttering my uh my apartment uh i did a big cleaning yeah. day yesterday and that helped uh in alleviating some of my stress there uh so most people tend to know what helps them when it comes to stress there are certainly things that are more optimal than others uh if you're relying on drugs and alcohol to de-stress that is going to just further denigrate your baseline 
level of um, emotional well-being. So you, you experience a, a big high when you're, when you're drunk or when you're tipsy, but then uh, when, you, when you become sober again, you're, you're, you're just, your baseline level of stress is probably going to be higher. And if, you, if you're doing that a couple of times a week, then over time that's going to be terrible for your basic sober baseline level of, uh, of stress there. So there are definitely um, healthier ways to manage your stress. Having said that, it's also, you can, people can take uh, the health obsession to a ridiculous degree as well and sit there mm. and actually become stressed about every little piece of junk food they maybe eat or, you know, every every drink they have. So uh, a statistic people always use to justify their drinking is that, what is it? People who drink one glass of wine a day on average actually have a longer life expectancy. And I can only assume that's just a placebo effect. It's, it's probably not causal because of the actual wine. There's a, there's a small amount of antioxidants in wine, but I mean, you get the same amount of antioxidants in one single blueberry, I'm quite sure. Yes, so yeah. what it likely is, is that people who drink a glass of wine every day, maybe they prioritize their, their emotional well-being more than people who don't drink that glass of wine. Maybe they're just more relaxed in general. And so whatever negative health... Uh, consequences they experience from that single glass of wine is offset by the positive um, psychological results of yes. just being a, a more relaxed person and that's something I've definitely had to work on a lot in my life I felt like stress was quite normal and I think that came from me growing up in uh, not a high, super high stress environment, but an environment where there was pressure to do well and to and to perform to my best, uh, to to be my best self and to mm. perform academically. And as I got older, I, I I understood that actually prioritizing mental health to a certain degree, or just stress management that can actually improve your performance anyway. I mean, there's some people, like you mm. say, who, who uh, really get into hustle culture and the grind and then they only sleep four to six hours a night and that's terrible. You can do that for a, you can do that for a couple of days and you can even get used to it and do it for a couple of years, but you, you will die younger. That's <laughs> yeah. almost certain because yeah. you, you need a good amount of sleep. You, you, this is, this is going to take yes. a long-term toll on your body and... Uh, this is something that you need to be wary of the uh, the long term costs of of stress because it yeah. will increase your risk of heart disease of other heart related illnesses and your poor heart don't put your heart through all that stress okay yeah yeah exactly and that's a really good point is that um, I guess form like an immune response when your body is experiencing stress. Well, actually what happens is there's primary stress and then there's secondary stress or primary stress response is like that immediate, like, holy shit kind of response or you're angry and then that kind of dissipates. But what people don't know is that there's a secondary stress response that can grow over weeks, months, or even years. Um, so you might be like, oh, had a crazy couple of years in my 20s doing this, this, and this. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're so sick, you're so unwell, you, you, you're in so much pain um, and you can't figure out why. Well, it's likely because that accumulation of stress actually is impacting you all these years later. And what they found is that studies show that the more you experience stress, the longer you stay in a stressful 
flight or fight response. Um, so your body's pumping adrenaline, your heart's beating faster, and it's harder for you to come out of that response. So a normal person who can manage their stress will have, you know, a stress trigger. They respond appropriately with the hormones and, you know, anger or whatever emotion. And then the stress trigger goes and they regulate completely normal again. Someone that has experienced prolonged or frequent exposure to stress, which in this day and age is a lot of people find that they actually get stressed much more quicker. Um, they stay stressed for much more longer. And they also learn to kind of dissociate from that stress. So you can be stressed for periods of weeks without actually knowing that you're stressed. Um, and that happens to a lot of children. And, and unfortunately with children is that your brain gets wired in that way. Um, and you can stay in a fight or flight response for literally your entire life, um, which is why we see kids that, you know, the kids that I work with that have complex PTSD, which means it's like an ongoing exposure to a very like um, horrific event, like war, abuse, etc. Um, they never learn to manage it and they're always sick. They're always unwell. They've got all these things going on um, until they get this kind of support and then they can work around it. But even as adults, ongoing exposure to stress actually does rewire your brain and it shrinks certain parts in your brain as well. And it was really interesting that there was a study done on med students um, who there was two groups. There was one group of um, people that were the same gender, same age. Um, so like, I don't know, like 100 boys, 100 girls between the ages of 22 and whatever, 25. And then they had 100 same basically, but of med students in an exam period uh, when they were about to go in for their med exams. And they were all vaccinated during this trial and uh, for like the flu or something. And they found that the vaccination was almost completely um, had no response to those that were stressed. It didn't help them at all. Um, wow. Whereas those that weren't stressed or in that stressful period were completely had all the antibiotics to fight the um the illness or whatever it was or the flu. Wow. So that's really interesting. And it also showed that they had much slower wound healing. So if they had cut their foot or injured themselves, it would take them months and months and months to heal compared to a couple of days to a week. Um, they also, their body doesn't invite infection. And the scariest part is that when you're going through prolonged exposure of stress, even if it's low level stress, like what we experience through work, you actually lose the ability to fight cancer cells. Um, so that's Whoa. really scary. And then for your mood, you get, you know, decreased um, concentration, your memory decreases, um, the brain kind of shrinks in certain areas. And then you go and get diagnosed for ADHD and you're medicating for that because you're like, oh, I can't concentrate. And I'm kind of like a bit, jumpy and my memory's gone I must have ADHD and then you've been misdiagnosed and then you're still not getting to the root of the issue and then further on from that um you get you know depression and anxiety after prolonged experience, uh, exposure to stress is often a result of stress but people don't ever know like what is the cause of depression or what is the cause of anxiety we know it's chemical imbalances but those chemical imbalances are due to stress and the hormones that are released through stress so it's um it's something that needs to be taken way more seriously than than what it is 
And when you say all this, it just makes everyone more stressed. So yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. People avoid that. Uh, exactly. I <laughs> so know. Yeah. What you said exactly. there about, uh, you know, how certain stresses can then just cause even more stress and then you, mm. you get medicated and then you become dependent on that sort of thing. It's it's about mm. stopping that cycle as you as you're sort of starting to feel the stress pop up in your life you you need to then make a change and make sure you have strategies in place to allow it to not get to that point to the point where yeah. you are your cortisol is just as extreme as it possibly can be because that's when things can go really awry and you can make a mistake driving or you can mm. you know do something that will completely ruin your relationships and 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 you really want to minimize the the risk of those sorts of things and uh prioritize that stress management now look there are situations where you can be doing everything right and when i say right you, you you're you're organized and you're working to the best of your capabilities but factors outside of your control can uh determine how much stress yeah. is sort of pervasive in your so in your in your environment perfect example again being covid like i said this this sort of weather is just dramatically like everyone who's doing shows it's just no one's coming to shows it's really affecting the bottom line yeah. it's it's not nice uh so what do you do in that situation when there are circumstances completely outside of your control so i yeah. could only imagine if you've been a, a farmer here in australia now there's a lot of rain, but uh, what, for the last 10 years or something, they've been in a, in a drought and yeah. that's their livelihood. That's how they feed their family. That's how they that's how they live. And they could be working 10, 12 hours a day, doing everything right, being organized, saving money, but their, uh, their levels of stress are going to be impacted by weather patterns, which they have no control over. So... What do you do in those situations when there are factors completely out of your control, um, yeah. significantly so, affecting your mood? That kind of stress is actually called adjustment um, disorder, which means that there's a period in your life like job loss, changed jobs, divorce, etc., that usually go through a period of a few months to a few years where you're feeling really like down and depressed Um about it and it's a really hard one to manage because there actually is a specific situation that is causing the stress so you can't necessarily just easily remove the trigger for you um which is really hard and it's also hard to say i'm so fucking stressed with this and my, my financial blah 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 and then someone goes just meditate just take some deep <laughs> breaths like yeah. you're like that's not gonna solve anything but the thing is that's um really interesting actually about this book, The Body Keeps Score is that she talks about um, how the uh, like fluoxetine or uh, Prozac, so an antidepressant is, was actually one of the first things that sh their uh, patients back, you know, 30 years ago, um, or it was not well, 30, yeah, 30, 1998, 1988. Um, and when that was kind of developed and how it was the first thing in the first, actual um tool that found they found was really really helping uh, people with significant ptsd our ongoing stress disorder or chronic stress um and people were coming back saying this has been the first thing that's 
ever, you know, worked for me and I feel so much better. I don't get triggered anymore by loud sounds. It was like a day and night kind of experience for them. But I guess the downside of that is there was, there's now such a reliance on um, this and all of the studies about managing PTSD and managing stress, etc., are funded by, you know, pharmaceutical yeah. um, organizations to show like, look how beneficial this is, which it is, um, but it doesn't actually change your brain or rewire it in the way that it's supposed to be wired to manage those um, stress disorders. So like, for example, um, Adrian last year, so he, Adrian has anxiety and he went on, um, I can't remember which one it was, but it was an antidepressant or something um, for a period of like three months at the end of last year. And he actually felt so good on it. He was like amazed at how good he felt. But after three, two or three months, he decided to go off it because he was like, well, I know now that my body is like capable of kind of reaching a normalcy, but can it not do, can it do that without, you know, an input of drugs trying to manage my hormones? Like, can I teach my body to manage my own hormone release? And um, what was really interesting, because I've been saying this to him for literally the two years that I've known him. Uh, same thing I said to you, like about these daily habits and you can't just every time you get stressed then go and meditate for three days afterwards and then stop. You mm. need to build it in every single day. And he actually did that. And he like was saying the other day, like he just feels like he doesn't have anxiety anymore because now he meditates, he exercises, he does all these things. Um, and wow. before, like a year ago when he'd be having these like, anxiety attacks and I'd be talking to him afterwards being like this is why you go do these things this is why you have to do ABC he'd be like so frustrating being like you think I haven't like try meditating with ADHD like try meditating and sitting in a room when you have anxiety and ADHD it doesn't work but um he pushed through it and it's actually now he's proved himself wrong and it has worked um for him as it has for basically every single person that does this over a long period of time. And there's a reason why. Um, so, you know, there is this kind of belief that talk therapy or tame it to name it, or no, name it to tame it, um, basically saying like, you know, the more you talk about your distressed emotions, the more you heal it. And, you know, it's ironic that me as, you know, a therapist says that's actually not always the best way to go about it, especially when it's stress or trauma. Um, and the reason being is that when you have talk therapy, it's you going in, you're feeling like quite relaxed. Um, Adrian, for example, when he used to go to a counselor, he'd always feel so good in the days leading up to a counselor that he couldn't actually talk about why he was anxious because he just felt fine. And it was always right in the lead up to a counselor because he knew that he was going to feel good after that session. So he'd kind of like anchored or rope learnt into himself that I go to a therapist, I feel good. So he started feeling good before he even was at the therapist. Um, and, but what's really interesting is that talk therapy impacts and speaks directly to your rational brain. So just as right now, you guys are hearing me and saying, probably thinking, well, this is interesting. Like this makes sense. But your rational brain trying to talk to your emotional brain or your limbic brain, it's, it's impossible. Like, you know, your emotional brain or your limbic system or central nervous system can't be talked out of its own lived 
reality. So it is perceiving it's in threat and you can rationalize, oh, it's just traffic. It's not a threat to me, but your brain cannot actually recognize that it's not a threat. It's a physiological response that you have. And that's why the kids I work with, they always get headaches. They always get tummy aches. It's an everyday thing and they don't recognize why it is. Um, So I explained to them that we have our, like, you know, the way our brains develop, the first part of our brain that developed was like the uh, brainstem and reptilian brain. And the reptilian brain is basically just our basic needs of survival. Um, So sleep, shelter, that's it. And then, you know, 100,000 years later, the limbic brain developed. And that is, you know, our capacity to develop relationships, emotion, care for newborns, look after animals, blah, blah, blah. And then our youngest part of the brain is the neocortex, which is our rational brain, logic thinking, critical thinking, et cetera, et cetera. But what's really interesting is trauma is not stored in your cortex. It is stored in your brainstem, the oldest part of your brain. So when you're at talk therapy, it's not impacting your brainstem. And there's been new research only in the last like 10 years um, or maybe even less. So psychologists still don't talk about this as much as they should. But the research is showing that the best way to undo trauma and um, or actually access trauma and stress is through the limbic, uh, sorry, through your brainstem. And how do you access your brainstem? It's meditation, it's dance, it's drumming, it's yoga. Um, And it's that movement in your body or connection to your body that can actually shift some of that trauma. So that's why some people, and you find like people that are quite like emotional or deep are really, really connected to music and they feel it so hard because music, and you know how people say music is healing. That is literally why music is healing. And then there was all these studies going on um, that showed that like there was a group of, I don't know how many people, but it was a lot of people that had um, chronic stress or PTSD. And they um, put these people in a 20 week yoga period. And basically every single one of them came out saying, I feel like my trauma has been healed and I did nothing except yoga. Um, and then there was other studies that showed for kids, um, they had, three groups of kids, one group of kids did 10 minutes every single day for six weeks of interpretive dance. So they think about their trauma and then they would dance out what it is and then write about it. Then they had the second group with just kids that danced and the third group um, of kids that just did the writing. And the study showed that all the testing done on that first group that did interpretive dance 10 minutes a day, plus then wrote about a little bit or journaled a little bit. They didn't even, they were so young that that they didn't even know what it was about or what it was for, but they all showed that they all actually um, massively, massively increased their engagement at school. They're concentrating, they're learning, their grades, everything improved. Um, So interesting because we never take kids out and say, let's get them into drumming. Let's get them into painting. Let's get them into yoga. We take them out. We send the therapy, nothing happens. And then they go back into school. So it's really, really interesting. And so like understudied and overlooked. (laughs) Wow. You need to write a book on this topic. (laughs) Wow. Oh, so insightful. That's incredible. First of all, 
congratulations to Adrian for being able to overcome yeah. that and being able to dissociate from the consequence of the uh, antidepressant medication and understanding mm. that he uh, then, you know, can actually do this organically and naturally. And that's not to shame anyone who's using that medication there. But I was listening to another podcast the other day about how our expectations of a certain, you know, coming from a certain stimulus can actually determine our physiological response to that rather than the stimulus itself. So what that means is they did this experiment where they uh, tell people who were gluten intolerant, hey, here's some food with gluten in it. We just want to measure the effects. You know, what do you, do you get diarrhea or whatever? And they gave them the food. They all had a range of effects due to the gluten. But the food they gave them didn't have any gluten in it. They just told them it had <laughs> yeah. gluten in it. And so their mind wow. has just sort of brought about those physiological yeah. consequences because they expected something like that to happen. And mm. I think we can relate something like that to stress and to like what you were saying there, our, uh, we can call it our, you know, uh, the, the reptilian part of our brain, which uh, mm. you can only be so rational about your irrational faculties. Uh, you can analyze it, you can understand it, but it's very hard to actually alter it and, and change it in, an, in a significant way unless, like you said, you're doing things that will impact that part of your brain, which is, are things like you, like you say, art. Art is such a sort of intrinsic, intrinsically human way to deal with our emotions in a positive, mm-hmm. um, in a, in a positive light. And yeah. I understand it can be very confronting for some people to hear uh, well, let's just sort of let's just um, talk exclusively about stress rather than you know more severe mental illnesses and trauma here. But it, it it can be confronting to say, hey, it's it's all in your head because that's ostensibly what is being said when 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 mm-hmm. you say something like, hey, the expectation that you are going to experience stress, that you're going to have that headache or that tummy ache or whatever it, it may be, and makes you have an actual stress response. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and and then. Yeah what people can hear is, oh, so, you know, I don't actually have a problem. It's all just in my head. And and people can get extraordinarily defensive about things like that. Mm. But it's worthwhile to try and explore that possibility. And uh, based on what Eliza's just said and and some of the things I've read, and it can be, a a lot of it is a placebo. A lot of it is an expectation. And and it, it may have originally stemmed from an actual stimulus causing those effects but then because you've brought about the expectation that well essentially what your brain is as well is it's it's a pattern making machine so it's sort of associated something with a certain response and you know relating this to my situation now i knew april was going to be a stressful period i'm expanding my well yeah my business a lot uh, a lot of shows a lot of traveling uh changing a lot of processes and having to sort of start new things and develop processes and patterns to continue on into the future i sort of knew it was going to be a busy stressful period but maybe the fact that i expected that is what's causing it and that's a possibility i certainly have to explore and uh something like meditation affirmations and just your basic things that we always talk about every podcast can certainly uh help in that regard yeah. Let's let's n- now go on to uh, stress in the context of a relationship. Uh, my partner, I cannot say enough en- 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 good words about uh, her whenever I'm feeling 
stressed. Uh, she's just always amazing. And whenever we uh, spend time together, it's always a good time. It's always, uh, it, it helps de-stress both of us. And she's also coming up to exam period and, and sort of, it's now quite an intense course that she's doing. Uh, mm. So we're both a bit stressed, but I think a good marker of this relationship is that when we're both stressed, we're not getting on each other's nerves. We're not, um, uh, we're not, we're not, you know, contributing to that stress. We're not annoying each other. We actually always do seem to help each other out in that regard. So a good relationship is, is one of the best things you can have when it comes to experiencing individual stress. However, flip side of that is a bad relationship can be the worst possible thing and it will just uh it, it will just it will just further encourage more it'll just be it'll just be even more stressful for you because you're dealing with issues within the relationship and then if someone feels like they're not getting the best version of you and they get defensive about that they 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 start to maybe attack you about that uh then you know you might say look I'm just going through this stressful period and then People can get insecure and it can just turn out to be a total mess. So uh, I think a good, tell me if I'm correct here, Eliza, but a, a really good indication of how healthy a relationship is, is how does the relationship cope when one person or both people are stressed? Because mm -hmm. if, if it uh, gets worse in that situation, that is not a healthy relationship because any relationship is going to have stress throughout it. You know, there's going to be some period of stress there. I'm sure when uh, kids are in the picture, there's just so many other factors of stress. Everyone's busy. Everyone's overworked. There's a little screaming baby in the in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can tell us soon enough. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine that's where you really need the, your partner and, and just the relationship itself to to be a bastion of uh, not, not just enjoyment, but of contentment and, and, and of uh, normalcy. And that is a really significant marker of uh, whether this is a, whether this is a relationship that is serving you and your partner or whether it's a sort of fleeting volatile relationship that can't cope under stress. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, uh, there's two, I have two thoughts, like one, I agree. And, you know, there's a, I can't remember his name for the life of me now, but there's a uh, relationship therapist that says the single best marker of whether someone is good for you or it's a good relationship is, are they good for your mental health or are they bad for your mental health? And it's as simple as that. It's the only thing that you need to take into consideration, uh, which I find interesting. And it kind of does play into that, like, how does your partner support you? How do they make you feel better? Do they make it about themselves when you're stressed? Like, do they feel neglected? Blah, blah, blah. But what is, I think, something that we do need to take into consideration is that people, some, you know, some stress heads will be listening to you say that and feel so validated being like, yeah, yeah, they should support me. Yeah, they do this. But when pe some people get stressed at, or are stressed all day, every day, and they're irritable, they're lacking sleep, they're they're kind of moody. They're not in the mood for sex. That's another big impact is that they, you know, don't desire physical intimacy. They have nothing left in their tank to give. And then someone's, you know, they're like, look, I'm just too stressed. And then their partner's like, well, you've been stressed for four months. Like, when do I get my needs met in this relationship? Um, so it is an interesting thing to take into consideration that, 
how how much kind of leeway should you get because you're stressed or how much um, lenience do you get to not fulfill your other partner's needs in the relationship because you yourself are under stress. Um, and I do see that in couples, it is used as and not an excuse, maybe an excuse, but a reason for every issue. I was just under a lot of stress, which shows that how one stress is extremely valid and and can be debilitating at points. But two, also like we do neglect our relationships when we're stressed and it's our responsibility to recognize I know that I'm like, you know, stressed. I know that I'm overwhelmed, um, but I still have to do this. And it's really interesting as I actually had this exact conversation um, with Adrian last night and we were talking about, you know, how he was, um, he came home and he was like really um, stressed and um, he, uh, we haven't been able to see each other as much because I'm pregnant. I'm so tired. I go to bed at like, I literally fall into bed, sleep at like eight o'clock, sometimes 7.30 at night. And Adrian gets home at like 6.30 and leaves at five o'clock the next morning um, or earlier. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. And he was saying like, you know, he's been a bit like stressed and the commute's really getting to him and it was raining all week and he had to work He's a landscaper. He had to work outdoor in the pouring rain all week. Um, Jeez. Just yeah. getting rained on and then sit in the car for an hour and a half on the way back soaking wet. Oof. And like I have so much compassion for him. But at the same point, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm I'm hormonal. And a, a big part of that is, you know, accepting the changes to pregnancy isn't pretty. Like, let me tell you, there are some things happening to my body that are really disturbing and really gross. And it does make you feel insecure. And then all of a sudden you're feeling like, you know, the ugliest and grossest I've ever felt. And then my, you know, fiance is the most distant he has ever been for his own, you know, valid reasons. He's fucking exhausted. Um, and he was saying, like, I, I said to him, basically, like, let's use this weekend. We don't have any plans. Um, let's just like really connect this weekend. We'll do all these things together. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I will. And I was kind of talking a bit about how, like, you know, I felt a bit like off this week, a little bit lonely, a little bit like just insecure, like, um, and he, because I guess Adrian is such a romantic person and I'm almost used to a certain level of attention and, um, actions that he does for me. And he was like, I just don't have like, I just didn't have the energy to put any effort into our relationship. And I was like, I totally get that. And it makes sense. But at the same time, you have to change your perception a little bit to think that giving your partner and meeting their needs and making them feel like, you know, just a bit loved and reassured isn't something that should drain you of energy. It should give you energy. Um, It should be, or even just keep you a baseline. So kind of just think, don't think it's another task you have to do. It's just something that you should enjoy too. Like, you know, you're stressed. I need a hug. We should both hug and hold each other and, and, you know, have that kind of physical closeness that we're not getting because we never see each other because uh, our sleep schedules are now opposite. So that kind of thing, just that little bit of reframing, I think is is really important that meeting the needs of your partner doesn't necessarily have to, while you're stressed, doesn't mean that you're going to, it's going to drain you even more. I understand if it was sex and you're like, I have no like capacity to have sex or put out right now. That's fair. But there's other ways you can meet you know, that if it's a need for connection or intimacy or closeness or reassurance, you can meet those needs without feeling drained by it. That's a really good point. And I 
I, I was, uh, yeah, when I was saying that how the relationship copes when one person is stressed, I wasn't sort of implying that the other, per- the, the non-stressed partner should be doing everything yeah. to make that person feel less stressed. I think uh, you make a really good point there. And it's very similar to the sort of daily or just regular practices that we would employ to mitigate stress that we should be doing all the time. There are certain obligations and, and duties in a in a long-term romantic relationship that need to be taken care of regardless of uh, the situation. Now, there are some very extreme situations if someone's very sick or whatever it may be where someone's just completely unable to perform those duties, but uh, making sure, yeah, the other person feels loved and that the intimacy is still consistent and uh, just doing the basic duties that you would expect of someone within a relationship I think being stressed shouldn't necessarily, it definitely shouldn't, we should try as best as we can to not make it an excuse. And as you also say, it ultimately should be, if you can get to a point where that actually is what helps you de-stress, that's the optimal situation where uh, if me giving to my partner is actually a way to make me feel better about myself and, and not be so stressed, which it usually is, that's the perfect situation. And that's a that's a really nice relationship there. Uh, I know it's easier said than done and it's not always, It's like you say, some people are just, you can be totally drained and you've got nothing left to give and, and you can't uh, focus on the partner. It's hard to listen. It's hard to sort of even just maintain eye contact. You just want to lie down yeah. and be in yeah. your own little um, stress bubble. I totally understand that. <laughs> uh, but that's where you do have to have, a little, sometimes it, it can even be just discipline and consistency there. And uh, you want to make sure that you're always fulfilling basic basic duties in that relationship and not necessarily relying on the other person. But at the same time, if you can sort of perceive that your partner is stressed, that's where, especially if you're not stressed, you can kind of step up and, and do things that would help them, make them feel a bit loved, make them de-stress. It's, it, is a, mm. it is a definitely a bit more of a complicated situation there. Uh, and yeah. it's not easy. It's it's not easy at all uh, when you are in a longer term relationship, and maybe the sparks aren't as strong as they were at the at the outset. And you know there mm. are so many other external factors, financial factors, uh, family factors going on. It's 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 hard to maintain those practices. But uh, well, tell me again yeah. if I'm if I'm right here. But the the couples that do that and make an effort. Uh, yeah. consistently they're the ones that tend to have the most longevity correct definitely yeah. definitely also there was something I wanted to bring up completely unrelated to relationships uh, just while on the topic of like cortisol the stress hormone I've, I've mentioned it before but just while we're on the topic of it it's important to um, for our, our listeners that are women or um, maybe dating a woman that is on the pill, that the pill has, you know, there's a lot of evidence to show that the pill impacts your cortisol levels, meaning either one increases it drastically every single day where you're having a stress response, regardless of how you manage it, or two, which happened actually in in my case, I was on the pill for 11 years, um, not because I was having sex at like 13, but because I had like really severe acne. So they were like, okay, pill. And um, I didn't get any cortisol. And I I think it completely inhibited it for me. 
And the whole time I would be like, why do I sometimes, it's not that I felt numb. It's just I never had a stress response for literally anything. Um, people, clients died. My family members were dying. You know, I was held hostage. <laughs> had all this shit happening to me. And every single time I was like, yeah, well, shit happens. Like on with it. And it wasn't until I kind of found out this research that I was like, fuck, I was one of those people that just, you know, most people probably get more cortisol. That's why they're all emotional and more depressed and things like that on the pill. I didn't get any and I didn't have any appropriate emotional responses to external situations that were happening. Yet I was interpreting it as, oh, my stress management is like, must be fucking top tier, like godlike, because nothing bothered me at all. But it's an interesting thing to um, know. So if you're on the pill, do your research, um, get off it. <laughs> what happened when you when you got off it? Did the cortisol come back? Uh, yeah, and you know what though? It was such an exciting, like it, it was really a beautiful time of my life. I think that I remember something happened with um, a client of mine and he was homeless and he was like 13 and he was... He cried and he was like saying to me, like, you're the only adult in my life that's ever cared for me. And then I just burst out crying and I was like, oh my God, I haven't cried in so long and I've never shown like emotion. Like obviously to all my clients, I'm always really empathetic and I felt genuine sorrow, but it never impacted me. Uh, But that was like the first time and I went home and I just cried and I cried and I cried and I felt so sad for this kid. And I was like going to my work the next day being like, shit, I'll take him. Like I'll take this kid or whatever. Uh, But after that, it was kind of really nice to be able to, sometimes it's not great, obviously, like I was way more emotional. (laughs) than usual but I, it was normal the normal um emotions that I was experiencing so it was like night and day um not in a way that I was more sad or crying more than usual it was just that I think it was more appropriate responses for what's happening and then I could recognize what was going on for me more easily I could be like I yeah I'm sad at this and fucking valid <laughs> someone died I could cry um so that was important yeah but wow. crazy that we don't know. No one knows about that. It's just so wild. I'm hearing a few more things about women yeah. just dis- opting out of the pill because of the uh, hormonal effects and yeah. seeing a few more uh, Instagram stories about it. And Definitely become trendy and for the right reasons, I think. Yeah, and then yeah. there's a lot of there's, – there's apps and there's, there's various methods to uh, know when you're ovulating, which is then when – you can get pregnant so that's yeah. where if, if you have a male partner you definitely need to be using well it depends what you want but for yeah. most people that's pro- definitely when you meet, need to be using <laughs> your, the steady freddy ultra thin condoms <laughs> yeah and just use that <laughs> just use one of just use a couple of those um, yeah. so yeah it's very that's that's interesting i remember in hormonal as well there was there was all these graphs about how the the the, the different levels of certain hormone hormones progesterone was affected a lot by the pill and yeah and how yeah. it can completely uh, a, a woman can get off the pill when she wants to get pregnant and she can suddenly lose attraction to her yeah partner uh which is a very scary and that's thought. not even like a small chance that's like a it's almost guaranteed to happen um when you who you're attracted to on the pill and off the pill is very different because you have different levels of estrogen and progesterone and you seek out different levels of testosterone in your partners so 
Yeah, that was, I learned that yeah. one. Going off pill yeah. in the middle of a relationship and it ended. <laughs> Damn. That's... Not, I don't want to say it's for that reason, but who knows? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's another podcast we can do. We can do one on, that, <laughs> on the pill. How I've ruined every man's life <laughs> because of my hormones. <laughs> uh, oh, look, I'm sure. No, I'm, look, everyone's got hormones, so... I didn't ruin anyone's life. Just we disclaimer. Got, we got the what are we? Yeah, we got all the the test, testosterone affects male behavior so much, and I would love yeah. to see more research on that. There's a few books yeah. out there, uh, but it's 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 an important hormone, and yeah, you should think more about that. But I think this is a good time to to wrap this one up. Uh, one last thing I'll add is, look, all the basic things that hopefully your parents told you will probably give you the most significant impact in in um helping manage your stress so we're talking about eating your fruits and vegetables drinking a lot of water getting a good amount of sleep getting exercise moving uh meditating spending time with family and friends especially if you're extroverted if you're introverted making sure that, that that there is some time alone i know in certain circumstances some of these are a lot harder than than others and you don't have many hours in the day for these extra activities but when you're stressed, that's when you're most likely to engage in behaviors that will increase your stress. So it's when you're most likely to to drink, to smoke, to uh, eat junk food, and and you just you have to try and have the the discipline there and the, and the consistent discipline to to um, not engage in those behaviors and not get into a negative cycle. But uh, thank you everyone for listening to this one. Uh, thank you, Eliza. Uh, halfway through, that's very exciting. So, yeah, nearly there. Wow. Uh, Subscribe to uh, my YouTube channel. Follow Eliza on Instagram. Send in a question. Uh, Go to neilcohacker.com slash podcasts. And uh, if you subscribe there, all the money will go straight to charity. You can send us a question, a topic, or a uh, shout-out. Come and see me live, neildan.com, N-E-E-L-D-A-N.com all over the East Coast, and otherwise, hope you're uh, having a stress-free day, and we will see you next time, guys. See you next week.